Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DeathStoreProds.com movies and television podcast. As always, I'm dead, and joining me today, we have Caveman. Hi, I almost slept through this. <laughs> eh, no big shock there. One of us tends to sleep through a recording at least once a month. <sighs> yeah, we're here talking about movies and stuff. Caveman, you finally fucking saw Spider-Verse. Yes, I did. Fucking dude. We'll get to it when it's my turn. Okay, talk about Spider-Verse. It's your turn. All right, well, I saw a movie that ev- literally everybody's been talking about. I will stab you in the taint. <laughs> Dead man knows what I'm about to do. I will fly to New Orleans. Hell, I will walk to New Orleans. <laughs> with literally, I, I will, I will like, buy a microphone for you, walk it down to New Orleans, and then shove it up your ass. Oh, great. Free mic. Okay, so I am going with this joke. No, uh, it it was into the Spider-Verse, and it is my favorite Spider-Man movie. Of course like, it is. Period. Like, oh, my only problem with it was the outro. You know, the uh, over the credits bullshit. Because my wife is insistent on staying through that. And oh. I hate watching the credits. Because it's boring. You can put the most amazing things up there. I am going to be bored. Well, yeah, like no matter what, it's just fancy names. The only time I've ever been interested in watching the credits was old Pixar when they put outtakes. Because that shit was funny. Yeah, but now we're in the age of the Marvel movie where you have to stay through the credits, otherwise you might miss story stuff. I don't care. I, ju- I literally cannot, cannot care. <laughs> like, I used to care, but they do it every movie. And all I have to do is say, Marvel movie post-credits, uh, Spooderman. <laughs> oh, that's what happened. Okay. Because <laughs> it's not important that I actually see it. You just your it phone doesn't and go, fucking hey, matter. Hey, Google, give me Spooderman. It doesn't fucking matter. But the rest of the movie, dear God, are we allowed to talk spoilers yet? Uh, yeah, it's out of theaters now. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, first off, I have to give props for having a male and a female character connect on a deep level and not having it uh, go into a romance. I always appreciate when a movie or show has two, has a male and a female character that are both attractive and directly interacting, and they're just friends. Gwen and Miles? Because it can happen. So talk about Gwen. It doesn't often happen, but it can happen. Talk about Gwen and Miles? Yeah. Yeah, they're getting together. Ah, oh, fucking... Yeah, the, sequ- the follow-up to Spider-Verse has been kind of confirmed as Miles and Gwen, and the comics have been pushing towards the two of them getting together. Great, whatever. Well, <laughs> they lost a point. <laughs> so suddenly, not favorite, not favorite anymore. Take that. No, it's still favorite. my favorite. It's still my favorite. Um, I loved, uh, I loved all of the uh, Spider Man. Um, I actually had to explain to my wife why the uh, why uh, Spider Robot Girl was crying when she still had the spider. Because she didn't understand. And I was like, "Mm, let me explain it so you can feel (laughs) sad too. (laughs) Oh, God. I I also loved (laughs) Spider-Ham. 
Yeah, Spider Ham was great. Like that was John Mulaney, right? Yeah, that was one hundred percent John Mulaney. I love, I love the, I love John Mulaney as a comedian. He was a great, he, he was perfect for that role. I'm not gonna say that he should go out and do a bajillion other voice acting roles or even live action roles. That's up for him to decide, and that's up for the moving going audience to decide whether they like him in those roles. But I think he was perfect as Spider Ham. Yeah, this is this is gonna sound like a really terrible joke, and I apologize for this kind of, but. Yeah, he had the perfect amount of 1940s ham to play that character. Mm-hmm. As but, opposed to um, Nicolas Cage with the 1940s chutzpah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be 1930s? Fucking whatever, dude. I don't know. Around World War II. Um, I, I loved Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir. Just because <laughs> it was so left field. Yeah, it was, it was left, so field. left field. It was left field when I first heard it, but then I'm like, oh, but he played Big Daddy. He, this would be perfect. That's true. I didn't really like that movie, so I try not to remember it. Um, I I also love how Aunt May is like, oh, you're from Paranormal Universe, and <laughs> just walks away. It's like, how do you? Know? Oh, that's how you know. Yes, because that's they perfect because it's in one. It's in the goddamn universe where he tells Aunt May shit. Yeah, because it's in the universe. Like, literally, I saw this and I was like, this is why you tell your parents. This is why you tell your parents. <laughs> they can't. You can't ground a superhero. So tell your parents so they can help you. <laughs> yeah, like, go full Jaime Reyes with this shit, dude. Build your supporting cast to actually support your ass. But then in everything else, just nope. He doesn't tell anyone because that means it because that means they're protected. Yeah, protected by not knowing that there might be a threat coming through their door. Yeah. Hey, I can't let you know that I'm Spider-Man because if a villain got a hold of because if a villain found out my secret identity, then you'd be in danger. Wait, what? They'd be in I danger mean, anyway. They already know your identity. There is the chance. That they're going to go out and be like, yes, but my Peter's Spider-Man. But nobody's going to fucking believe them. Is Aunt May a Jewish grandma? Sometimes. <laughs> like, that's the only... Like, that's how she felt in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. She felt like a Jewish grandma. Yeah, but that's in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. And everything else. Yeah, she just been else? She's just been kind of a grandma. Like, hell, her... Like, the time that she had the most interesting shit happen to her was when she knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man, was living in Avengers Tower, started dating Jarvis, but then Peter sold Let's his marriage to Satan. Ugh. I don't... I've mentioned this on movies before, right? I don't know. Yeah, in the comics, Peter Parker sold his marriage to Mary Jane to Can Satan. Can we stop talking about that... That that terrible comic book. That's they, the reason I'm still. They not might not know this, and I want them to suffer with me. But I don't want to suffer by thinking about it. Well, too damn bad, bitch. Everyone suffers. If you're in an abusive relationship, remember <laughs> it's important to know that you can say goodbye and leave. And if they pursue you, go to the police. Hey, man, that mic's coming. Anyway, fucking god damn it, this movie's so fucking good. 
One of the things that I fucking love about this movie that I didn't get a chance to talk about beforehand because you hadn't seen it yet and it was still in theater, so spoiler stuff. But something I actually did really appreciate about it was um, what they did with Miles' uncle. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Miles' uncle, um, Aaron Davis, uh, in the movie and in the comics, he is a supervillain called the Prowler. Mainly works as a th- in the comics. Mainly works as a thief. In the movie, he is one of Kingpin's enforcers. And both of those, both of these things, kind of serve as a secondary Uncle Ben moment for Miles because he gets two because he's special. The first, the first Uncle Ben moment is seeing Peter Parker die, and then the second moment is seeing his uncle die. But it's a bit different in the comics because in the comics. What happens is Miles finds out, sorry, Aaron Prowler finds out that Miles is the new Spider-Man and then begins blackmailing him in order to try to force him into taking out the competition so that so the Prowler can be the new big crime dick in fucking New York. Eventually leading to a big old fucking brouhaha out in the streets, which leads to his uncle dying and then him going, oh, God, I killed my uncle. Which felt like shit. Especially for the character, because up until that point, the relationship had been the same as it was in the movie. Like, yeah, like yeah, he was kind of like on the wrong side of the law or whatever, and his and Miles' dad was like, go, don't go with him. But he was a fucking good uncle. Yeah, he was a decent dude. It's why I, I was actually worried that they were going to go that kind of route with it. So was I. And but, no, he went know. out like a boss. Yeah, he yeah, he went, like the second he found out that. The fact that he found out that the Spider-Man he was fighting was Miles, he'd stopped. Just fucking, just dead ass, like, oh, oh god, you're my, you're my fucking nephew. What the fuck am I doing? And then the Kingpin shoots him in the fucking back, which then, yeah. which then leads to oh, that was a heart wrenching moment. Oh yeah, like I, I said, it's one of his Uncle Ben moments. Every Spider-Man called it a goober. <laughs> every Spider-Man called it a goober. It's the greatest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's it's just how it works. I go find a thing, turn it into a thing, and then it saves the day. It's a goober. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Spider-Man's a genius, but that doesn't mean he has to do the Technobabble shit. Yeah, no, that, but that's great. That's so, that's so Spider-Man. That is so, totally something Spider-Man would do. Yeah. And, oh, God, oh, man. There's so much about this fucking movie that I love. It's so good. I would I will say that I really liked the uh post credit scene where it's Noir Spider Man with the Rubik's Cube and he has signs saying uh, up saying Amaze your senses with black and white Rubik's Cubes. No, like everything else is black and white. The Rubik's Cube are still color. Yeah, I know, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and then we get the real post credit thing of fucking fucking uh goddamn what's his goddamn name? Miguel O'Hara. I I was thinking his actual name, Miguel O'Hara. Yeah, just call him Spider-Man 2099. No one else is going to know who he is. Well, I'm going to give him the fucking respect he deserves. Does he deserve respect? Yes, Spider-Man 29 is fantastic. What did he do? Be Spider-Man. Apparently, we've got a whole multiverse of that, so. Yeah, he's Spider-Man of the future. 
That was his whole thing. He was he was Miguel O'Hara, just a dude working for a fucking a giant mega corporation, then got bit by a fucking science spider. You gotta love that Spanish Irish crossover in that name. Yeah. Like what was his actual nationality? Um, I think Spanish. Cause, cause like his, cause like his suit, his, the design of his suit was uh, essentially a spider design based off of the Dia de los Muertos. I'm double check. I'm gonna double check this, but I, I believe that it is that he is at least partially Spanish. So while he's doing that, I'm gonna harp on the design in this movie, cause it was on point especially the fact that the ones that were from non-standard universes spider ham uh spear dear girl and uh noir actually kept the design sensibilities of their universes which is on point it's it's absolutely beautiful but then you look at the designs of the characters in their actual universe and jeez and pete's that was amazing too like, the kingpin. Like, normally when I see the kingpin, I'm like, ooh, you're a fat bloke. In this, I saw the kingpin, and I was like, huh, you're actually someone who could go toe-to-toe with Spider-Man. Yeah, do you okay. see what I meant when I like, like when I originally talked about him? He's just like this giant black brick with a face. Yeah, I, I, I see what you mean, because I've seen it now. He's a giant black... Every time I saw him get out of the car, I was like, how? <laughs> How did you get in? Hammer space. How did you get out? How is that car fitting you? Dude, he has fucking reality warping tech. He went to Spider-Ham's universe and got that fucking hammer shit. It'll fit in your pocket. (laughs) (laughs) I hope in the next movie he uses Spider-Ham's hammer. Spider-Ham had so many weirdly poignant moments in this. What are you, little cartoon? What, you got a problem with cartoons? (laughs) Yeah, like that, but like even the, he's the one who gave, he's the one who actually verbalized the message of you can't save everyone in this business. Mm-hmm. And like, meant it. It was a fucking cartoon ham. It was a cartoon pig dressed up like Spider-Man. Giving the, giving the message that in the superhero game, you will fail to save people. I also liked that at the end, like it showed him revealing himself to his roommate. Yeah. Because, like, at least he'll have one character who's in the know who'll support him. Yeah, and, like, I was actually... That was actually one of the things that kind of bugged me, because, um... Genki, I believe, is how you pronounce his name. That was... That was the biggest defining thing about Miles, compared to Peter. Was that Miles... Was that he had... Miles, from the jump, had somebody. Well, technically, he does uh, now. Uh-huh, but it was... But like he was, like the, he was friends the timeline with, changed a little bit. But. Yeah, I know. But like in just in comics, he was friends with Genki from before he went to that school. Oh, and Genki was also a bit more of a us. Like he was a bit heavier, and he was like more like he was essentially Ned from Homecoming. I actually feel like, um, God, what what am I trying to say? I feel like that's just the way he's drawn. Because I didn't really notice anybody who was really heavy set in the world. With the except Kingpin, kind of. Oh, he doesn't count. He's a brick. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard but, to be heavy like, set when you're you, made of stone. You know there had to be, like, fat people. And I think that's just the thing. Like, 
all the characters had a more tapered waist, and you denoted physical, like, strength by the broadness of the shoulders? Like, his father, like, is a cop, so you'd expect him to be a little bit on the paunchy side. Yeah. Because that's how I imagine cops. But he had this really tapered waist, but the fucking, like, he had the shoulders of Adonis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, uh... Like, so I think that's actually just the design sensibilities of that universe. Uh, but they, they did give a bit of a punch to, like, mainline universe Peter. In some shots. Yeah, but, again, he's mainline universe Peter. Like, it's a different design sensibility. It's a slight difference, but it's still a difference. Yeah, that's fair. I'm and, kind of annoyed now, having seen the movie, that they that in uh, Marvel Spider-Man the video game, the Into the Spider-Verse suit they gave us was regular Peter Parker. Yeah. They had so many good options. They could have yeah, given us Spider-Verse Noir. They could have given us Spider-Ham. And don't say they couldn't, because they gave us the fucking Ninja Turtle Spider-Man. No, I know they could have. It's just... Thinking back on that stuff... I... I I don't know. The like, the only like, if they had given like, like, all, like they already had a Spider-Man Noir outfit, so that would have felt a bit like doubling up, and they couldn't really give us Miles' outfit because that's a bit of a that shit move. That would have been move. spoilers. That would have been spoilers. But they could have given us Spider Gwen. Well, not really spoilers because it's on the front. It's on the poster. Oh yeah, that's true. But yeah, like it. I guess they were trying to like stick with like the Peter Parker aspect because giving Peter Parker Gwen's or Miles' costume kind of feels like a shit move to those characters. Well, I figured like I figure if you give them uh, if you give them uh, the Gwen costume, it would physically change them into Gwen, which would make the cutscenes hilarious. <laughs> yeah, your Yuri Lowenthal's this, voice this, coming out uh, of punk rock Gwen Stacy. Little ballet dancer twirls up, and it's like, "Hello, Mary Jane." <laughs> Yeah. Now just swinging through the air with the grace of ballet dancer, Spider Cop. I on want the scene. that as a mod. I want someone to mod that into the game. Uh, I want that to be a thing. That'd be stupid. I'm buying this shit. Oh, hell yeah, dude. I am buying this shit when it hits the shelves. Probably a little bit after when the price has dropped. But still, this movie... Eventually it will be on your shelf. This movie is solid gold. And I've had a little while... The only reason I I didn't go see it again is because I'm poor. Yeah, that's fair. Um, But I feel like I should move on. I've talked for about 10, 15 minutes on this. Yeah, more like 20. Uh, Dead Man already got to have his rant. Um, so the reason that, like, in the, my original plan was to do the classic bait and switch. Um, and the reason Dead Man started getting angry at me is because the movie that I was going to bait and switch with was Sherlock Gnomes. Because you have problems. <laughs> I actually did not like Sherlock Gnomes. Good. I was very irritated with it. Did you pay and money to see part, it? I was irritated with it because the first movie was much better. It was just better. Romeo and Juliet was just better. It was actually an interesting take on um, Romeo and Juliet. 
Whereas this was a hackneyed take on Sherlock Holmes with romantic discord shoved in. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I would like an answer. Did you pay money to see this? No. Both of them I saw for free. And this is still my opinion on them. I'm still angry at them. So when you say for free, do you mean on a streaming service you pay for? Uh, yes, but I don't pay for either of them. They're, I'm sharing with someone else. <laughs> okay, but the point still stands. Because you watch these movies, money was given to the people who made them. True. Uh, I do stand by that Nomeo and Juliet was worth it. Sherlock Gnomes? Eh. Of course it fucking wasn't! It was a uh, it was a pun movie sequel to a pun movie. So I'm going to start off with I'm going to start off with the thing that annoyed me the most, and that's the romance. Um, Romeo and Juliet are getting out of their honeymoon phase, and they're given the new garden to take care of. Yada yada blah blah blah. And Juliet is more concerned with taking care of the garden than taking care of her husband. And Nomeo, instead of doing the classic guy thing in a romance movie and becoming a giant dick, then goes to try and do a gigantic romantic gesture. And Juliet is a giant bitch, (laughs) which is the only thing I'm going to praise this movie on. (laughs) Juliet being a bitch? They didn't make the guy the bad guy in the relationship. They didn't even try. Juliet is the bad guy in the relationship from Jump. Because Nomeo isn't like, hey, we should stop doing our jobs entirely and just make out. Nomeo is, hey, you want to talk? Like, talk? Maybe figure some things out? Talk? Like we used to do? No? Okay. Which, it's weird. Especially for a kid's movie. Because usually (laughs) kid's movies just go with the trite cliché. Yeah, as opposed to adult movies, which usually go with the trite cliche of the woman cheating on the guy. Yeah. God fucking damn it. (laughs) Um, But no. uh, And towards the end of the movie, she realizes her mistake and they fix their relationship. Big fucking whoop. Ooh! Um, These two two garden gnomes are going to fuck? And then we get to the... uh, Then, like, I want to cover the... main plot of the movie. So, Sherlock Gnomes and Watson uh, prevent Moriarty, who I think is like a puff pastry mascot or something. Who fucking cares? uh, From destroying all of the gnomes in London, because Sherlock Holmes has declared himself the protector of gnomes. And... Hold the fuck up. Yeah, this is all in the first, like, five minutes, by the way. So, consulting detective Sherlock Holmes in Sherlock gnome- Gnomes. Let me fucking finish. Consulting detective Sherlock Holmes in gnome form is a gnome superhero, and consulting criminal James Moriarty wants to commit genocide. Yes. <sighs> Why? Because uh, cheap movie. 
But they uh, they do the why does this why does this exist because the first movie made money. Then why but not make they, an actual they, Romeo and Juliet too? They uh, they do the bait and switch and ooh Moriarty's dead and literally at this moment I said he's still alive and then picked up my phone and started going through my phone. I don't do this during movies. I usually politely watch even if it's a terrible movie. I picked up my phone because it didn't matter if I missed half the film. I still knew how it was going to end. Then why did you watch it? Because my wife wanted to. Uh, I don't know your wife well enough to make a really mean joke about her. If you make a really mean joke about my wife, I swear to God, I will come to the north and beat the living shit out of you. And then I will leave without playing D&D with you. <laughs> oh, I'm not horror. sure which is the worst punishment for you, if I'm honest. Oh, the horror. But anyway. So. Like, I, 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 like she's like, oh, look at Watson's face. I look at him. And I'm like, he's the villain. <laughs> Go back to my phone. And she's like, what? How do you know? I'm like, think about it. And she's like, oh, yeah, you're right. He's probably going to be the bad guy given that reaction. And we go through the entire movie with Watson just being treated like a giant shitbag. Like all of the bad Sherlock Holmes, how they treat Watson. Uh, and it gets to the end, and it's like, yes, and it was all my evil plan. And like, no, it's not. Yes, I'm going to kill all of myself. Oh, no, he was just kidnapping them so that he could make uh, Sherlock Holmes look like a fool. He wasn't going to hurt any of them. Like he, like, he gave them a party room with a mini-golf course. This movie's gonna make me sick. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then... Why the hell did your wife want to watch this? Because she really enjoyed the first one, and once it was on... It, like, this is kind of the rule. Once it's on, unless one of us is getting physically sickened by it, it stays on. You couldn't have just fucking shit yourself? No. Saved yourself uh, the trouble? Um, and you're you're in it for the long haul, buddy. I'm describing this movie to you. And this then, is the thing you decide to spend time on. Like Spider Man is like twenty we minutes. We spent time on Spider Verse. We spent a lot of time on Spider Verse. We spent like an hour on Spider Verse now. Because you talked for forty five minutes on it without spoiling anything, which is impressive. Yeah, I was fucking trying. Um. Which, it, which I cannot say about anybody involved in the Nomeo movies. Nope. Again, the first one was decent, but... The fact that the fact that we have to talk about them again hurts me. <laughs> God. So, anyway. <laughs> so, go through the trite cliche. Nomeo and Juliet get split up. Nomeo insists on doing things... His way, which are actually, which is actually the right way, uh, and uh, Juliet insists on doing things Sherlock's way because he's the professional. Um, it gets revealed that oh no, it was actually Moriarty. Um, they go rescue all the gnomes. Watson actually gets to be the hero. Sherlock almost has the Reichenbach falls moment, but then Watson rescues him. And they end up making making up, and everybody's happy. Yay! <laughs> I want to die. Gnomes. 
I just described every major point because I don't want anybody to ever see it. If you think that it's worth it, listen to the audio from earlier. Just I want to go. Not. I want to go out, find a fucking garden gnome, smash to pieces, then slit my fucking throat with one of the shards. I op- I loaded up bully and smashed every gnome that I could find. But moving on, something that was actually okay, Dragon Prince. So this is a, t- a TV show on Netflix that I meant that I talked about previously, having watched the first half of it. I have watched the later half of it, and the only thing that I can say is I really dislike the fact that they've gone with the Avatar chapter structure. Because it tells me nothing serious can happen. <laughs> Because it's the first fucking chapter. And if I wrote a book and all of the interesting shit happened in the first chapter, I would never get published. Yeah, but Avatar did in chapters and actually had things happen. Yes. Well, actually, but to Avatar be fair, they had do, longer actually, chapters and be, had higher stakes, in my opinion. To be fair, they didn't have chapters. They had books. Yeah, no, that, I think I'm. I think that, yeah. <laughs> like, they, they had books, which... Drastic fucking difference. Drastic difference. Because, don't get me wrong, Dragon Prince was good, but... Let's just say I didn't jump to watching the second season. Because I finished the first right before uh, the second season dropped. Well, okay then. Yeah, the characters are still great. They uh, added a new one. Uh, a girl named, I don't remember, and her dog. Sounds like a really great character. I don't remember character names. You know this. <laughs> Hell, one of the characters I nicknamed Peanut Breath because I couldn't remember her name. Peanut Breath? It's an important point in the beginning of the series. Take your word for it. It's enjoyable. But it's not done anything to really cement itself as, this is something I must watch. Okay. Um, I, that's really all I can say about it. Like, I'm trying to find more words. Uh, it's really trying hard to be, like, Avatar Light. I'm uh, hoping well, the it's... second season it does something more with that. And actually, like, gets its own identity together. You know what I mean? No, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's it's a bit. It might be a bit hard for them to do that, considering it's the writers of Avatar. Exactly. But um, they don't have that creative vision that the two actual creators of it had. Yeah. Uh, but here's hoping. Fingers crossed. You know what I mean? Yep. And if not, we can always stay tuned for live action Avatar series coming Netflix. Whatever. <laughs> it's from the real creators. Don't care. Ooh. <laughs> um. Ooh, yeah, yeah, hey, feature. Oh, uh, the dragon. Like, I'm just going to spoil it because if you haven't watched it, you probably don't care. The dragon hatches at the end of series one. So, woo, we get to see a dragon. That's exciting. Neato. Um, yeah. Oh, and evil guy McEvilface does something evil enough to make us sure he's evil. What, does he kick a puppy? Uh, no, he seals someone into a gold coin so that he can gloat over their 
trapped self. I mean, yeah, that's kind of evil. Whatever. Um, like, there's more evil shit you could do. He also captured one of his allies for daring to disobey him. Oh no, he captured him? Yeah. Oh no, that means one day he might hurt him. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, evil guy McEvil face is being evil, whereas his two children are being idiots. <laughs> <laughs> it's really unimpressive. Like the like his kids are unimpressive, I mean. Not the show. The show is beautifully animated, well written. I like it. The problem is it's not doing enough to keep me interested. So we'll see if I continue with it. Okay, then. Uh, and on to the final thing. I watched more She-Ra, and I have to comment on the episode The Princess's Ball. Okay, The then. episode where they go to Princess Prom, and it's actually kind of interesting. Mostly because we find out that the scorpion chick is a princess who is mistreated by other princesses. Okay. And I like it. <laughs> like, I expected it to be like, oh, this is going to be a boring-as-fuck episode. No! Well-executed villainous plan. It looks like the bad guys actually won by the end of the episode. I didn't watch past it because I was busy. But, um... <laughs> No, I, I I was busy. I had to do shit. I have an adult life. No, I know. Weird, but it's true. I know. It's just hilarious. Just like, you sat through all of Nomeo and Juliet, but She-Ra, you're like, nah, I got shit to do. It was my wife. My wife was <laughs> insistent. Um, God. But I absolutely love that Scorpion Princess, like... There is every reason for her people not to be the bad guys, even though everybody's labeling the ba them the bad guys. That is something that you don't often see in children's media. It's absolutely brilliant, and I want more of her. Her in particular. Well, okay then. I... I... kind of fell off, Shira. Well, it's good. Yeah, like I think I got I think I got to the episode with the uh the flower child princess, whatever the fuck her name is. Uh, yeah, she's irritating. Yeah, I got to that and it was just it was the fucking like I I kind of had seen some other people talking about this series and one of the criticisms that I'd seen kind of floating around was that it was just kind of lesser tier Steven Universe and Avatar. Mm. And I think at, it has more of its own identity than that. And looking at that episode, that was just straight up the barge, but worse. The barge. Yeah, the episode where uh, they find that earthbender and then they go to that prison where it's just this giant oil ah. rig in the middle of the fucking whatever. Ah, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, it was just... Yeah, I don't really agree. I don't see the similarities. I see, I know what you're trying to get at, but I just, I don't see that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I got I got to that episode, and just kind of hearing some of the, just kind of hearing people like the creators talk about it, just kind of, I just kind of like lost interest in it. Not every show is going to be for everybody. Yeah, which is yeah, like kind of from like that series had a lot of stuff going for it at the beginning for me, 
but then by episode four, it kind of lost a lot of it. So that kind of sucked, but eh, I'll, I mean, I'm getting around to it. May not. Yeah, there's I don't know. tons of stuff to watch right now. Uh, have you started Three Below yet? Uh, no. Well, there's that. Yeah, I know. And then there's also Which fucking. I I actually stopped after like three episodes just because I, it had the same issue as the beginning of Troll Hunters did for me, where the like the beginning is just really not interesting enough to get me into it. Uh huh. Yeah, like, I have that, but I also have, like, fucking Velvet Buzzsaw and Nightcrawler and then all kinds of other shows that I've been meaning to watch and never get around to. Dead like, Man's the one who watches adult television. Like, I gotta watch Star Trek first. Still haven't done that. And I don't mean porn. We both watch that. But not together. I hear a let's watch... <laughs> Yeah, if I don't link in the description <laughs> to Pornhub. Oh, man. <laughs> Turns out, like, we're just going to watch Cleavage Field <laughs> together, and it's it's just sounds of annoyance. <laughs> oh, God. Like, oh, God, this is so boring. They couldn't write this competently. <laughs> <laughs> criticizing, the, criticizing the cinematography in porn. Man, these cuts are so sloppily done. If you're gonna make a porno centered around a monster, at least do it right. Who the fuck lit this? (laughs) Oh god, the audio is popping so badly. Like, yeah, I get it, you're screaming. Just pull the boom back a bit. Jesus. We can see the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're like, oh, they brought the boom in front of the light, and it looks like she's sucking off the boom mic. Oh man! It, well, no, it's actually it actually did that. It actually did that intentionally. If they intentionally made it look like she was sucking off the boom mic, I actually give that some props. Is it bad that I want to do this now? Probably. <laughs> There's a podcast I listened to not too long ago. Like I didn't, I didn't like listen to episodes a lot. I just kind of like listened to one or two. But one of the things they did was they would. Like sit down at the end of a thing and then watch a then watch a trailer for a browser scene and comment on it. Okay, I'm not sure I see the point. Yeah, I, I think I think they thought I think they thought it was funny. It might have been. I don't know. Yeah, from what I remember, it wasn't particularly. But yeah, that's all I've been watching. Um, sadly, nothing was interesting enough except for Spider-Verse to really merit a long discussion. And, well, we already had the long discussion on Spider-Verse. Alrighty then. <clears throat> oh, fuck. So, what about me? So, I've watched one TV show um, that's kind of worth talking about this week. Uh, Doom Patrol. That's happening now. It came out today, the day we're recording this. So, bit of background, I guess, on the lead up to this. So, Doom Patrol is the newest, and I believe the second series on the DC Universe app. With the with the with the first series being Titans, which is a series that myself, Birdie, and Nico of the Comics Podcast uh, are currently watching in Felling Titans. Oh, yes. 
That's why Birdie's been watching that show. <laughs> yes, he's been watching it because I make him. Because he's, he's, he's been coming to me like, I had to watch Titans. Let's do anything else. And I've been <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, and the series hit a high point around episode four. And when I say high point, I mean a good point. Because that was the episode where they introduced the Doom Patrol. And for those that don't know, the Doom Patrol, they were kind, like, they are kind of like the DC Universe's X-Men in that they're the weirdos that everyone hates. But it's basically, it's basically like, like they are, like, they are a group of people who became, who, like, got powers and abilities that they did not want and now kind of work under the will of a doctor in a wheelchair. To go out and save the world. And nobody really likes them because they're all fucking weird and shit. DC and Marvel have this a lot. Where yeah. it's like, it's like Marvel's answer to... Yeah, but I where... usually, like, it's just all surface relationships. Yeah. Whereas when you actually get any depth into it, it's like, these are not alike at all. Yeah, exactly. I, I've actually heard that... Uh, have you? Do you know the character? You know the character Moon Knight. I've heard that comparison between Moon Knight and Batman by someone who didn't read Moon Knight. Yeah, no, like they are, <laughs> like it is, if you were to look at just the very, very, very surface level of a guy who, a guy who like floats, like fucking flips around the city at night beating up bad guys with various X-themed paraphernalia, then yeah. But the Moon Knight is also, Moon Knight also has this insane backstory with fucking Khonshu, the god at like, the Egyptian god of death and then his multiple personality disorder. It's and it's a severe multiple personality disorder. Yeah. To the like point. I actually just picked up an issue and was like, man, Moon Knight's vicious. And then find out a few issues later. No, that's just one of his personalities that had taken control. Yeah. Why? And those personalities are apt to change. Like, like sometimes it is like Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, or, and then a couple other dudes. But then, but then one time it's just going to be fucking Mark Spector Spider-Man, Captain America, and Wolverine. Like, there was a run of the book where it was just Mark Spector with those three superheroes in his head. Yeah, comics are weird. Yeah. And I read that run, by the way. That was a great run. Yeah. And (laughs) it gets especially weird when one of his personalities has a kid with his ex-girlfriend. Okay. Yeah, it's a whole fucking thing. But anyway. So yeah, the Doom Patrol, um, they... Yeah, they were just kind of that for a while, and then as the years went on, they got weirder. Specifically, Grant Morrison weirder. And the run that people kind of know about the Doom Patrol from is the Grant Morrison run, where... A guy called Mr. Nobody got a painting that ate Paris. And it did this by him reciting Dadaist poetry and philosophy. Because anything. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was like, yeah, the, the painting was this like painting made by this surrealist painter. And anytime like thing, anytime it was like exposed to nonsense. It then like uh, then like ate everything around it, 
which he was doing in order to in order to release the uncreator, the anti god, and his team. Which, ha- if you read comics, you know this is a thing. Yeah, and because no villain's allowed to just mention something and not have it be real. Yeah, like, and, he can't actually just have a villain who's crazy for crazy's sake. Yeah, yeah, and his and his like evil brotherhood of Dadaism. Uh, one of the members was a person who had every superpower except the ones you haven't thought of yet. Oh wait, sorry, no, it was it was she has every superpower except the ones you've thought of. So the moment she uses the power, it's gone. She's able to use it once, but then like she's able to use it once against you, and then you're just kind of fucked because you're already fucked at that point. Yeah, but huh, that's interesting. But yeah, just just. Any superpower that hasn't crossed your mind, she hasn't used it against you. And then you're fucked. See, I wonder if she'd be effective against people like you and me, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because we'd go for the more outlandish shit than forget the basics. No, but we've already thought about the basics. It's it's vague about the way that actually works. It kind of has to be for something that weird. Yeah. But there's another guy who like like becomes a cloud, and that and then when he turns back into a person, anyone in that cloud gets absorbed into him. But they're absorbed fully. So it's form- a one piece power. But they're absorbed fully formed with a conscience. So he has every per. So he has every mind of every single person he's ever eaten as a cloud inside his head, screaming. Man, that makes sex awkward. Yeah, and then like in the later Doom Patrol stuff, uh. When he, when Mister Nobody comes back and revives the Brotherhood, but as the Brotherhood of Nadaism, the Brotherhood of Nada, uh, one of the members, one of the members of the group is Half Chad, a guy. I'm waiting for the description. Yeah, Half Chad is a guy from the waist down, and that's it. Oh, he's a pair of legs and hips and tidy whities running around in sneakers. <laughs> I want to make that character in D&D. I want this to play the Doom half Patrol. Chad. I want to play half Chad. Yeah, and so the Doom oh. Patrol are the people who go up against these weirdos. With kind of the main force of it being Cliff Steele, a.k.a. Robot Man. Also known as the normal one. Essentially, because... Cliff Steele is just a dude in a robot body. But then you got Larry Trainer, aka the Negative Man, a man wrapped up entirely in bandages with very fancy sunglasses, who is either radioactive or just a burned victim who has a ghost living inside of him that can eject itself and then fly around and cause chaos. There's Elasta Woman, who has all the elastic powers and shit, but little to no control over them and is also the reason why Elastigirl is Elastigirl and not Elastawoman exactly uh, you got um, Crazy Jane who has 64 unique personalities all of which have their own superpowers so you know split but better yeah and they gotta deal with all this shit and we were introduced to these guys in well we are introduced to most of them in uh, episode four of Titans. 
And that was the only good episode of Titans. And we've watched eight of 11. At least you're almost done. Yeah, we have one more recording session to get through them all. But yeah, and what made it work was everybody on the Doom Patrol, with the exception of one guy who was, well, which I'll get into, was popping with personality. They the, Their actors were putting in real effort to bring these, bring these characters to life. They were doing a good job at it. And, they're, and like the people who apparently wrote these guys had a better base understanding of these characters than anybody in Titans. With the exception of Dr. Niles Calder, a.k.a. the Chief. Because they replaced uh, him in between the backdoor pilot in Titans and the actual first episode of Doom Patrol. Okay. Yeah, in the first episode, he was played by, I believe, a Mexican actor who we did not like. Like, he was the weakest, like, aside from the actual Titans, he was the weakest point of the episode. Just because... Just because, like, we, none of us really, none of us really, like, jived with him as, as the chief. A lot of the he time. He produce that aura of authority. Yeah, not the aura of authority, and also this very weird accent that reminded us all of Borat. Ew, not for someone you want in authority. Yeah, so then, going into the actual first episode of Doom Patrol, they replaced him with Timothy Dalton. Okay. Uh, do you ever see Hot Fuzz? Yeah, no, I know who Timothy Dalton is. Okay, just just making sure. I've had... I'm, just, I'm shocked that he's on this. Yeah, he's the chief. And he's pretty great. And what's also pretty great is the main bad guy is Alan Tudyk. Okay, I don't know who that is. Ah, uh, fucking... Um, Firefly. He's Wash. Okay, who was he in Firefly? He, he was... Uh, what, sorry, what did you say? I, I think I talked over you. I said, who was he in that? Wash, the pilot. Okay. Yeah, like... Firefly... Yeah, no, oh, okay. Yeah, no, wow, okay. Yeah, he's the bad guy. That's interesting. Yeah, he's Mr. Nobody. And he's also the narrator for the first episode. Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, like it starts out with him going to Paraguay to talk to a former Nazi doctor in the 1940s to be able to get to be able to grant himself superpowers. I love comics. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then we kind of like jump around in time a bit. Uh we then jump forward to the 80s where we meet actually getting the episode. Uh yeah, so Paraguay in the forties, he goes to talk to this doctor who then make who then like fucking gives him powers and whatever, and then we jump forward to the nineteen eighties, late eighties, and we're introduced to Cliff Steele, aka Robot Man. Before he's Robot Man, played by Brendan Fraser, because Brendan Fraser is fucking back in like a leading role. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and after hearing, I like Brendan Fraser. Yeah, and after hearing the reason why he left the industry a little bit, it's really good to see him back. Why did he leave? Because a high-powered fucking man in Hollywood fingered his taint. Oh. Yep. 
I am so glad that we're like literally trying to purge that from Hollywood as of right now. Yeah. I wish we had been doing it for the past century, but hey, at least we're doing something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brennan Frazier, he talked about an interview um, like last year about this, about this man. I do not remember his name. But yeah, he was he was like this. He was a power player in fucking Hollywood. And one day he just kind of came up and just started groping his backside. And that caused they call me Slick Willie. And that caused Brendan to and that caused Brendan Fraser to fucking spiral into depression. Understandably. Yeah. But he seems to be in a better place now and getting back into acting and now and he's back in a leading role and he is back as Robot Man and he is fucking pitch perfect as that motherfucker. Brendan Fraser is a great actor, period. Oh yeah, totally, dude. Like, like Brendan Fraser has become a bit of a meme lately, but it seems to be, but it seems to be one of those memes that are born out of like actual genuine love for the guy. Like the last couple of years, so much of it has been like, Hey man, bring Brendan Fraser back. He's got to do this and this and that. And, and it seemed to largely, and like, while it did kind of grow out of proportion because it's a fucking meme, it did seem to be born out of this idea that people just like Brendan Fraser. Which, yeah, it's people fucking do. And it's great to see him back in a fucking thing. Yeah, he's just doing the voice, but he is fucking perfect. Birdie has brought this up multiple times, but in that fucking Titans backdoor pilot, the best line delivery is from is from fucking uh is from fucking goddamn uh, Brendan Fraser when like a girl is brought into the Doom Patrol mansion and they're trying to help her out, and Robot Man's and Cliff's like looking over the monitors, and he just goes, What the fuck? <laughs> Uh, I kind of want to watch this now. <laughs> but yeah, and so and so we're mainly told the story from Cliff's kind of point of view where he is he's like fucking his nanny. He hates his wife, everything's horrible. And he is a and he's a race car driver. He's racing like at like the the discount Indy 500. Mm, the Bindy 500. Yes, I've been there many times. Yeah. And then I, I've actually placed several times. I should tell you how discounted it is. Yeah, and then he finds out that his wife's stooping his pit crew leader. So he crashes into the pit crew. Uh, no, he crashes into a different car that then fucking spins out and crashes into his car. And then we cut to 1995. Oh, so this is set backwards in time? It, it's kind of, it, it's an origin story. No, I appreciate those. Like, I always, I, I like uh, period pieces. Well, no, no, that's the thing. It's not a period piece. By the oh. end, by the end of the first half of the episode, we're in, we're in 2019. Okay. Because, yeah, after he fucking, like, after he gets into the robot suit, and gets everything all settled, information gets revealed. They're not going to reveal because fucking, it just came Spoilers. out. Yeah, it like information gets revealed to him. And then he just stands in a room, and then he just stands in a room staring at a window for 30 years. Okay. Yeah, Doom Patrol's kind of fucked. Like, that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the whole underlying thing about Doom Patrol, is that every one of these people is fucked. Which, leads, which will lead to a future problem that I'm going to be discussing a bit, because fucking, of course, and, but anyway. 
and yeah, um, as we go on, as we meet the other members of the Doom Patrol, uh, we then get flashback stories told by Alan Tudyk about their past, like kind of what they were beforehand. So it's not exactly the most natural style of giving like backstory stuff, but it works with the setup they were going for, and it also get, and also like dodges the dodges the bullet of having just the characters apropos of nothing reveal their entire life story to this dude they just met. Yay! Backstory dump. Yeah, but uh, that's, just, that's actually the thing, though. Like, it yeah, it's technically a backstory dump, but it's doesn't feel like a dump. Like, Alan Tudyk's narration at the beginning and end of it make it feel a bit snappier than it is, and the actual backstories themselves are simple enough that it's like a couple minutes. Oh, see, that's actually one thing I really appreciated about Into the Spider-Verse. They understood that we already knew all of this shit, so they gave it to us in, like, five seconds. Yeah, in this, we don't... In this, like, nobody really... People outside of, like, people like us wouldn't really know who the Doom Patrol is. I don't even know all their backstories. Like, I know Robot Mans, and I think I know Mentos. But apparently Mentos is not even in this version of the Doom Patrol. So. No, he's not. Uh, yeah, this is this is Robot Man, Negative Man, Last Woman, and Crazy Jane. And Cyborg. What? Yep, I'll get to that. But yeah, uh, so... Okay. Yeah, so like I said, Cliff Steele, car accident, everything was fucked. The doctor, doctor, uh, the chief took out his brain and put it in a robot body. Um, then we got Larry Trainer, who was a test pilot who flew up into, like, the upper atmosphere, and then a bunch of fucking space bullshit flew into him and made him, like, horrible burn victim and also alive after falling out of the sky. Again, I love comic books. Yeah, and then Elastowoman, who... Fell into an Amazon, who fell into an African river and released some kind of weird goop that then made her start melting. And everyone was kind of cool with it because she got the main focus puller fired because he had one arm and it distracted her. What? Yeah. So it, yeah, she was a, she was a movie star in the forties, like in the forties and fifties, and they were shooting a film in Africa. And they had, you know, local crew there. And one of the guys was a focus puller. Whose job is, you know, like to you know, control the focus. Mm-hmm. But he only had one arm. And so when she was shooting her scene, she would like, she would like catch on the corner of her eye, this one armed dude. And it's like, oh, that's distracting. He's weird. I want a normie. I hope we're not supposed to like this woman. <laughs> She's kind of a bitch. Okay. And we're kind of. Supposed to feel that way. Okay, good. Because I remember liking her in uh, Teen Titans. Yeah, and yeah, and here she's a bit of a bitch. Like, like at one point she actually, uh, like she, they, the crew goes out for a day on the town, and it's the first time a lot of them have been outside since the fifties and sixties. So they go into town, and she goes to like a diner, and. And, a, and, a, and the waitress is like, hey, you remind me of Rita Farr, that old, like, 50s actress. And they start talking. And then and the waitress is, like, talking about, uh, like, talking about, like, how she watched the movie with her dad and helped her through a lot of hard times. And then Rita's like, hey, sit down, tell me everything. And he's like, about my dad? No. Cut. <laughs> tell me why you loved my movie. <laughs> Basically. That's awesome. Yeah, and 
that is what makes this fucking series work. It is, it has a firm grasp of who these characters are, or at the very least, who this version of these characters are, which still feels in line with what I know of these characters. And it doesn't ever try to take itself too seriously. Like one of the biggest fucking problems that kind of all of us have with Titans is the fact that it's trying to take itself so deathly seriously with this, with the most campy shit. And it is trying to go like full fucking edgelord. Like you, like you don't understand me. All this other kind of bullshit while also completely failing to understand Robin, Starfire, their relationship, Beast Boy, Raven, their relationship, Batman, his relationship to literally everything. But with, but with this, it is just so fucking just, yes, perfect. This is the Doom Patrol. It feels like Doom Patrol. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't go as out there high art concept as like Grant Morrison stuff does, even though it does pull a decent amount from Grant Morrison style stuff. Cause I'm pretty sure Grant Morrison stuff is too, just, it's just too weird. Yeah. But I'm, like, I'm pretty sure that Grant Morrison made crazy Jane. Okay. And she's also one of the main characters in this. And okay. The, and I don't remember if original Larry Trainer was gay, but this Larry Trainer is gay, which may or may not be kind of a reference to when in the Grant Morrison run, Negative Man became kind of trans. What? Yeah, like Larry Trainer, he absorbed a woman, and they and then they kind of became both people in one body. But with the negative man powers. So for anyone who's wondering, this is a comic books are weird moment. Um, yeah, that's this whole fucking thing, man. Doom Patrol seems to be the perfect illustration of this sentiment. Doom Patrol, yeah, Doom Patrol is a fucking great show. What the fuck is Cyborg doing in it? <laughs> that is my big fucking. That that is that is the big fucking question covered in dynamite that is hanging over the neck of this goddamn show. What the fuck is Cyborg doing here? Because Cyborg, from what I, from what I remember, doesn't have a really strong connection to the Doom Patrol outside of nope. Beast Boy. Yeah. And anything Cyborg could bring to the table in terms of fitting in with the Doom Patrol is already brought to the table by Robot Man. Yeah, that's why I was very confused when you mentioned Cyborg. Yeah, like, I was like, is he Robot Man's sidekick? No, apparently he's like a fucking actual part of it. Like he is a for real. Like like going forward, he's apparently gonna be like a real part of the fucking Doom Patrol, which okay. makes no goddamn sense because he is just Diet Robot Man. And I don't mean that in terms of character. Cyborg as a character is great when he is used appropriately, which he hasn't been used appropriately since the New 52 started. Uh, yeah. I'll, say, I'll say this. The best use of Cyborg was in Justice League vs. Teen Titans, when at the end of the movie, he just straight up dips out of the Justice League to go join the Teen Titans. That has been the best Cyborg moment since the New 52 happened. 
Uh, he was used pretty well in Justice League action, in my opinion. Okay, I, 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 haven't, I haven't really been counting that. Justice League action is kind of a separate beast from everything we've talked about. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, he is going to be introduced in, like, the next few episodes, I believe. And I can't see him... I can't see any universe where he is not a... So he is not a like thumb sticking out of this entire thing because from what I've seen, like the actor they've got, he could be fine. He could be great. As Tell me they cast a black guy. Pardon? Tell me they cast a black guy as a uh, cyborg. Why wouldn't they? Because Hollywood is stupid. Not that stupid. To my knowledge, they've yet to cast a black character as with not a black actor. Okay, just making sure, man. Just making sure. Because that's the, it's the kind of stupidity I'm expecting from DC right now. That's fair. You know what I mean? But yeah, so... But yeah, like, like I said, with, with, with this actor, he could be fucking fantastic as Cyborg. He could be the best depiction of Cyborg since the original Teen Titans cartoon. It won't really matter because he will still be this blaring red light of you shouldn't be here. Like, your show is literally next door. Go be with the Titans. But I guess he kind of couldn't because his costume is better. Because <laughs> all the costumes in Titans are dog shit. They are the worst. They are terrible. Oh God, I just go listen to our commentary tracks. Watch the fuck, watch fucking show the commentary tracks, or just listen to our commentary tracks as is. Because fucking, why would you want to watch this bullshit show? But it is infuriating how terrible all of their designs are. But they come over to Doom Patrol, and they look fucking great. I imagine the crossover was just like, man, I wish our costume designers were as good as yours. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Like, every, every time it cut away from Robot Man's 100% practical costume to Starfire, it was like a slap in the nuts. Every time. Because, like, they have two people on this show that are the most costume heavy. Uh, because like, because uh, Crazy Jane and Elasta Woman, they are both effects heavy. Mm-hmm. But with Robot Man, he is in full costume the entire time, and so is Negative Man because he is because he is wrapped in bandages all the time. And both of them look great. They are an incredibly faithful adaptation of what their costumes are, but in real life. Stop making me want to watch this because I'd give money to DC for their stupid service that I don't want to support. I will get to that. But yeah, like, pe people fucking freaked out about the Deadpool costume. This is the TV equivalent of a Deadpool costume. That's awesome. Like, seriously, that is, like, I'm always appreciative when, like, some of my favorite characters are brought to the screen 
well. Yeah, and this seems to be that. And like, I, I'm gonna harp on into the Spider Verse again, but like, yes, like that, like that is the perfect example of seeing some of your favorite characters brought to the screen well, because they could have screwed up a lot of these characters. Oh yeah, but they didn't. No, they did that shit perfect. Well, this near, this near is perfect. what I like to call good pie. Yeah, and. Yeah, I, I feel like I've been hyping the Doom Patrol a lot. Um, the one thing that I will say is that they seem to skimp a bit on the effects budget. Ah, oh, that's a shame. Because like, like some of the effects look fine. Other ones, they look noticeably cheap. Not noticeably enough to like pull you out of the experience of what's happening, just enough to go like, oh, it's a shame, and then get back into it. Like the quality of writing and acting is good enough to is good enough to compensate for the lackluster effects. And yeah, this the show's just fucking great. It is not good enough to justify the DC Universe app. <laughs> Gonna watch it. Might I recommend alternative means? Or if you come to Netflix, if you're outside of there, because it might come to Netflix. Who knows? Woo! Uh, so that was for TV stuff then. Um, Movie-wise, watched a few movies. Uh, so, first up, I watched Chinatown. Chinatown is a movie from, I believe, the 70s. Uh, starring Jack Nicholson. It's a neo-noir movie. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and... I had a kind of really hilarious moment that might only be funny, like, it'll probably be dated if anybody ever listens to this again, but, so I was watching it, and it was running through the title sequence, and it was doing, like, the old school, like, like, 1930-style title sequence, where it is, where it is, title of the movie, and then all of the credits. And Jack Nicholson popped up, and I'm just like, oh, fuck, has Jack Nicholson been accused of anything... So I went and researched. Sorry. And looked, so I went and researched, looked up, and and like, and it was like, okay, no, Jack Nicholson has not been accused of anything yet. I was like, I'm Whew. sorry, that was funny. I was like, was really okay, for now, I can like this movie without any really caveats. And then it See? got to a film by Roman Polanski. <laughs> and I'm just like, fuck. See, I'm not one of those people who's going to be like, well, I can't like this anymore because you were a terrible person. I can still appreciate what you've made, even if you're a vile, uh, like, scumbag who doesn't deserve to live. I oh, know, I can 100%. I can still appreciate that you made something good. I can 100% do I'm that, just too. I'm going to shit on you whenever I talk yeah, about it. Like, I can 100% do that, too. I just kind of miss liking movies without caveats. Yeah. So, going into this movie, I'm just like, all right. All right, Jack Nicholson. Oh, fuck. He was, he was, has he been accused of anything? Shit, 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 shit. Let, let, me look, let me look this up. Okay. No, he hasn't. Good. I won't have to say, I won't have to put, put any fucking asterisk next to this. God damn it, Roman Polanski, you fuck. <laughs> Why do you ruin all that is good in this world? You fucking visionary rapist, you son of a bitch. See, now I'm imagining that you're actually mad at him because he's completely altered your perspective on the world. <laughs> like, he is he has raped your vision of the world, and that's why you're mad at him. No, I'm, I'm mad at him because he's a visionary yeah, no, filmmaker. No, I know. Just for anyone out there who doesn't know, 
He's a visionary filmmaker who has made some of the best movies, and he's a rapist. He's an absolute garbage human being. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts. No fucking, like, allegations that you kind of, like, pussyfoot around. He was charged with rape, pled guilty to rape, and then fled the country. So that he wouldn't be, so that he wouldn't be actually tried and convicted of rape. Oh, God. Yeah, he is an abomination. That being said, he's a fucking amazing filmmaker. Oh, yeah. Like this fucking movie. So for those who haven't seen Chinatown, Chinatown is kind of one of the neo-noir movies. It has, it has always been, it has, it has been held up by multiple people as like one of the best scripts, the writer who, it, writer who made it had ever written one of Jack Nicholson's most well-known roles, one of the best noir stories out there and what a bro and Plansky's best movies. And it fully stands up to all that shit. It is fucking phenomenal. With one or two little things like the fact that the entire plot hinges around a hinges around a fucking kind of racist joke. I haven't actually gotten to see this in a long time, so you're going to have to fill me in. Okay, so. Uh, okay, uh, hashtag not racist, hashtag pointing out the racism for racism. Uh, whatever. So you know how, so you know how Asian people sometimes have a hard time pronouncing their R's and L's? Oh, no. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, so early on, the gardener at the, at like the, like, so the whole plot with this thing is a, is, um, so Jack Nicholson plays a character named Jake Geddes. Gettys, I believe. Yeah, Jake Gettys. He is a he's a private investigator, former cop. And a woman comes up and a woman comes in and asks him to investigate her husband, a guy who is currently the chief engineer of Los Angeles Water and Power. And this is the middle of the and this is the middle of an LA drought. So, he Goes, begins investigating, finds out that, like, fi- like take pi- takes pictures of him with a much younger woman. Those pictures leak. And everyone and everyone's like, oh, it's so salacious. This dude's fucking a fucking whatever. Then one day at his office, a woman shows up. A woman he's never seen before. And says, I'm this guy's wife. I never hired you. You'll be hearing from my lawyers. Oh, yay. And then that spins him off into trying to find out what this what this all is. Because not long after all this happens, they find the guy he was tailing dead. Yeah, I remember that bit. Oh. Yeah, and so he begins looking into it, looking into all this shit, and eventually finds out that uh, essentially... The former owner of this, the former owner of the actual like LA Water and Power, uh, he had bought up all of these orchards and was like using the actual like water company to dump and divert water in such a way that it would like cause this massive landfall for like cause a massive windfall for him and he'd earn a lot of money. I'm not 100% sure on how that works. I do not really have a firm grasp of how like real estate and water money works. 
But basically, it all comes down to they're doing some bullshit. Use they're doing some bullshit using the infrastructure of L.A. in order to make themselves a fucking bet, and in order to make themselves a fucking mint. AKA the plot of almost every noir story. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and so, and so, and so one of the things is that he is, one of the things is that um, he was drowned in salt water and they and they don't, and they don't know. And they, they figure like, Oh yeah. So he died out in the ocean that, cause that's where we found him. Um, and so when he goes to that, so when he goes to this dead dude's house, the gardener is in the back and he's like, Oh, see what the bad for glass. And I apologize. I'm just doing what they did in the fucking movie. Yeah, no, I know exactly what. Yeah. Go through the entire I know thing. Exactly what's going on. Yeah. Go through the entire fucking thing. He then goes back to this fucking house after kind of developing a relationship with his wife, with the, with the dead guy's wife. And he finds a set of glasses in the, in the, in this, in this little pond in the backyard which it turns out is full of salt water, which is bad for the grass. Do you see? Do you see? I see. I remembered. <laughs> that is really my only real gripe against this. But it's like, really? That's your whole fucking thing? R's for L's and that solved that fucking cracked the case. Ah, uh, but yeah. And then, but then we actually get to the for real end of the movie and the movie's been out for fucking 40 years. Oh, spoil it. Like they, yeah. if they haven't seen it, hopefully your description will encourage them. But this has one of my favorite endings in a fucking movie because it is the darkest shit. <laughs> Ooh, I love dark endings. So, the young girl that the dead guy was hanging around with, that that ja- that Jake took pictures of, mm-hmm. that was not his mistress. That was his wife's sister slash daughter. Yeah, I remember this now. Her, the wife's dad, the former head of the fucking water water company, raped her when she was fifteen. And then she gave birth to a fucking baby girl. Yeah, I remember this now. She was doing I, everything I she why could. I haven't seen yeah. this movie in a long time. She was doing everything she could to try to keep the daughter out of her dad's hands. And Jake was trying to help. Because, which uh, I'll, I'll get into why he was helping. But yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, so they go into this whole, yeah, so they go into this whole fucking thing, this big fucking thing in Chinatown where she's hanging out with her, where she's like hiding at her butler's place, get into a car and drive off. But as they're driving off, like co- like cops, former cop buddies of Jake's had shown up and were trying to arrest her. As they were driving off, they, they just start shooting at her and then kill her. As the car stops, bit way down the road, as the horn is just being, the horn is just wailing on. They run up. To, they run up to the car, and the cinematography completely changes, where it is now more of a handheld thing, and like and like people are like bumping around and stuff. And you actually and you actually see like the camera, like the light on the camera, like kind of kind of like a blaring out on people's jackets as they as they start like getting like closer and further to the camera that the that the, that the lights mounted on. So it so it gives us this really gritty, lived in like 
documentary style footage as the wife gets leaned back in the car with a giant bullet wound in her fucking eye as the daughter is just screaming as her dad slash grandpa comes up and just begins like slowly dragging her away. And she's like, oh, sweetie, you shouldn't look at this. No, no. Oh, it's too horrible. And the cops do nothing. And then, and then while all this horrible, like cavity of noise is happening, Jake says a line that I didn't hear at first, which then leads into the famous, like, which then leads into like the fucking famous line. Come on, Jake, it's China, it's Chinatown. Which has actually been weaved in as this whole other, like as this whole other, like backstory narrative that was never really fully explained except, except through vague discussions of what he used to do. And Jake as a character. Which is fucking fantastic. Oh God. This is all so fucking good. God damn it, Rob Polanski, you piece of shit. Whew, okay. So I want to explain this. But I kind of don't want to also. Why not? Because it it's one of those things I want people to see. And me explaining it would just not give it any justice. Okay. Uh we're 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 actively putting a spoiler warning on the next few no, minutes. No, I'm, I'm actually no spoiler warning. I'm just not gonna say it. You're not gonna say it? I'm not gonna say it. Pussy. It is too good, man. It's not even a spoiler thing. It is a thing of I can't give it justice. It is all like the justice that is given is through the writing and Jack Nicholson's performance. Jack this Nichols- is one of those movies that, like, this is why Jack Nicholson got, got, like, received all of the praise he did, and he deserved it for this film. 100%. Because Jack Nicholson he, is He was fucking phenomenal. brilliant in it. And I haven't seen this film in a few years, so me being able to honestly say that to you, like, that should tell you something. Yeah. Like, and... And like I, w- I don't remember what Dead Man's talking about, probably because I didn't actually hear it on my fir- on the on the on the last time and as little time as I possible. This movie, just that is what I will say. As little as possible. Wait, wait, just some other little, just one other little thing. Um, yeah, like like I said, like. At the, at the very end, the cinematography changes so that it's more of like a handheld in-universe thing. But that's kind of, that's not like the only time that like some real shit starts falling into this. Because um, early on in the movie, uh, when uh, Jake, he goes to like investigate the place where the guy died, where the guy's body was found. And he comes across two goons, essentially, who work for the power, who work for the water company. And they do a thing that I have seen threatened in a lot of noir movies, but never actually seen done. Uh, where, uh, where, where the, one of the thugs calls Jake nosy, pulls out a switchblade, sticks it up his nose and then flicks out. And it is just this like very quick, very, very, just like very sudden, just flick. And then all of a sudden blood pouring out of the side of his fucking face. And then Jake spends the rest of the movie with either a giant patch of gauze on his fucking nose or his nose just full of stitches. Which is what would happen if that happened to you in real life. Yeah. Yeah. That's no joke. 
You will bleed like a motherfucker if that happens to you. Yeah, it turns out getting cut with a knife bleeds. It's not even that. It's the fact that there's a bajillion blood vessels in your face. Yeah, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of those. It is. And yeah, it, like up until that point, it had been a fairly straightforward noir thing. And then all of a sudden, just fucking flick. Because noir, they didn't really do that. They threatened it, but they never did it. Like, like from what I remember of like old school noir stuff, with the exception of Kiss Me Deadly, the worst it got was someone got shot. Like, do you do you have more history with noir stuff that I'm not familiar with? I don't really have a lot of history with watching noir stuff. I love the noir setting and all of that such, but I just like I'd never really gotten a chance to watch a lot of noir things just because it's never really been on my radar. I love the setting, and it's one of the reasons why I love games like Call of Cthulhu. Because it like that's the closest feeling I get to noir stuff. Yeah. Um but yeah. That's my real background with noir. Oh god. I got nothing to I got nothing but shit to talk about this week that I liked. That's a good week. That is a good fucking week. That's a good week. Uh so we on to the next so thing. It's good when you can talk about positive. Yeah, Chinatown. It is fucking phenomenal. Check it out. Rome Plansky can die on a field of a thousand pointy dicks. Just all up his ass. Just every one of them. Just, I'm laughing not because I disagree, but just mental image. Just hit him like a rail splitter. <laughs> anyway. I'm being attacked by a kitty. Moving right along. Uh, oh, brother, where art thou? I love that movie. I had never seen this movie up until now. It is one of my favorite movies. Um, I think it is. I think it's a brilliant reimagining of the Odyssey. Um, and I didn't know that it was a reimagining of the Odyssey until one of my literature teachers taught, uh, told me that and like explained it to me. And I think it's absolute gold. I know that it is a retelling of the Odyssey. A because I've spent a lot of time on the internet, and people talk about it a lot, and B because it says right at the beginning, based on the Odyssey. I didn't see that part of the movie. <laughs> I often come into things five minutes, ten minutes after they've started because I watch a lot of things with my mother. Yeah. Well, but, used to watch a lot of things with my mother. But yeah, so I'm not familiar with the Odyssey. So oh, I could spend an entire I, I could spend an entire day just educating you on like the nuance of the Odyssey. Yeah, like I know the sirens. That's about it. Battle I got. Like, Odyssey. Yeah, it's sirens, ain't it? <laughs> These the sirens are such a tiny part of the Odyssey. Yeah, that's all That's all I fucking know, dude. Like, the fucking poor wax down his ear in time to the fucking mast, and then they sail on through while everyone's dicks are hard. Literally, like, one of the least important parts of the Odyssey. <laughs> Again. I mean, it's an important part because it illustrates um, it illustrates Odysseus's resolve, but also his drive to learn things. But again, this isn't a classics class, so we're not going to go into it. Yeah, this is 
Yeah, this is a film. This is a film homeless person. What? Yeah, it's it's not it's not like it's not like a fucking film class where we're sitting there like educating people on this thing. It is a homeless man sitting on the corner yelling about Chinatown for four hours. <laughs> You'd yell for four hours if I let you. No, I wouldn't. I don't have enough. Fil- yes, I don't have enough material would. to fill four hours. I've been in recordings with you. I don't have material to fill four hours. I have just enough to fill like one. Yeah, we'd have to drag Cora in again to do four hours. But anyway, oh brother, where art thou? Uh, absolutely brilliant film. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I like like George Clooney and then the other two, um, John Turturro and fucking third guy. Damn it! <laughs> Yay! He's pulling the me. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna fucking look this up. God. <laughs> Dang it. I'll go on while he's uh, talking about it. Um, so while, Tim Blake like, Nelson, these, that's that fucker. These three uh, men were all imprisoned. I believe they were all actually guilty of their crimes. Um, yeah, um, yeah, one of them was... Yeah, one of them was, um, like... Well, one of them, he didn't really... We don't really know why he was in jail. He just kind of was... Yeah, well, yeah, John Turturro, uh, Pete. I don't think you ever actually get a thing of why Pete was in jail. But uh, Clooney is the intelligent one. And by intelligent, I mean conniving, because not all of his ideas are intelligent. Yeah, he, ma- he mainly sells people on his ideas by just talking at them really fast. Yeah, he's... he's... He's the bard of the party, if I had to describe it in D&D terms. Yeah, 100%. Doesn't always have the best plan, but he'll convince you it's a good one. Yeah, he has he has the largest vocabulary and the best talking voice. Plus and that good old George Clooney, Clooney charm. And the most Odyssey name with the name of Ulysses. Meanwhile, the other two are Pete and Delmer. still there yeah i'm still here i was letting you uh name the cast okay yeah so yeah george clooney as ulysses um yeah ulysses everett mcgill uh got john Turturro as pete and then tim blake nelson as delmer and for those of you who are like why would you name someone ulysses unless it was no uh back in that time period uh, Ulysses S. Grant was like still yeah. very a popular person. So yeah, Ulys- popular Ulysses name. was a common name back then. It just also yeah. so happens to kind of sound like sound like Odysseus. And there were Ulysses in the, uh, you know, Greek plays and such. Yeah, it's a name that makes sense. The Coens know what they're fucking doing. Yeah. But yeah. So uh, all and- three of them uh, break out of a chain gang. Uh, and begin making their way to I don't remember the I don't remember the location they were going toward. But they were essentially going toward uh, a treasure. Um Yeah, I think uh Ulysses had hidden it before he was uh, hauled off to prison. Yeah, Ulysses claimed that he had buried like a million dollars or something. Uh and yeah, like like buried a million dollars or something and then like, hey, you guys get me there and then I'll then I'll fucking split it with you even ways. And the whole way he was planning to uh, rip them off. 
Yep. Guys, we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then from there, it's largely just they keep running into situations. Which is the Odyssey. Yeah. The Odyssey, they were consistently running into shit just happens. Yeah. Um, oh, it was like a D&D campaign. Yeah, actually, it was very much like a D&D campaign. Yeah, we, yeah, we have one goal. Oh, something happened. Oh, something happened. Oh, something happened. Um... But uh, some of the things that uh, were important to the Odyssey, um, the uh, the uh, Cyclops, uh, Cersei. Um, Fucking goddamn it! The, I just what? got that. What? Fucking John Goodman is a Cyclops. Yeah, I just got that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I haven't like, read the, the Odyssey. Cyclops man. is one of my favorite moments because, like. It was originally one of my favorite moments just because of the idea of deceiving someone into thinking that you were nobody and having them be unintelligent enough to actually go ahead and say, it was nobody who did this to me. Um, but it's evolved from that because now I, there, there was uh, there was a classics class held for a group of, I believe, sixth graders uh, that someone on Tumblr posted about. And they posted the comment. Uh, one of the kids said... The Cyclops isn't really the bad guy, because he was just defending his home. And if he's the bad guy, then so is Ulysses, so is Odysseus, because he gets back home and then kills a bunch of guys, which is exactly what the Cyclops is going to do. And it just blows my mind thinking about that now, because it's absolutely brilliant. When you take away the fact that one of them is a monster, and just look at their actions, they are, in in very many ways both guilty of the same crimes. Yeah. Yeah, I've read I know about perspective. It it's just brilliant to me. And the uh, the the Cyclops is one of my favorite characters from the Odyssey, and John Goodman was also one of my favorite characters from Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Yeah, he there's a bit there's not as much like hey, see things from his point of view, he's the good guy. No, he's a racist. Yeah, no. <laughs> he's just bad. Yeah. I also love the born again Christian scene. Yeah, just just everybody, did everybody go to the river and then, as, and then as soon as you see Delmer just just sprint through the fucking lake, I'm absolved of my sins in the eyes of God and man. Just this very Great Depression era understanding of the law. <laughs> yeah. If I'm yeah. baptized and God forgives me, then surely the law will. Nope. <laughs> yeah. And obviously George Clooney didn't do it because A, he's a more educated man, and B, it would fuck up his hair. Yeah, he really loved his pomade. Yeah, that's some it's some dapper dance shit. None of that fucking fomp. <laughs> this is a, it's an actual important part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like Yeah, it is it is one of it is like his secondary main driving force. If you appreciate the Odyssey and you can appreciate a good film, you need to watch Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou is one of my favorite films for the sheer and calm fact that it is well-written, well-acted, well-performed, and even if you have no idea what it's referencing, it is still entertaining as fuck. Oh, yeah. Because I did not know it was the Odyssey the first time I watched it. Yeah, like, weirdly enough, I know a bit more about Depression-era America than the Odyssey. 
<laughs> okay. So I just kind um, of enjoyed it from that side of things, like when like when they ran to the bank robber, like babyface. Mm-hmm. And just see, and just seeing all that shit happening, uh, seeing his hard swings. Um, Tommy, the guy who sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads. Yeah. And the soggy bottom boys. Fucking soggy bottom boys. Oh man, it's so good. I, I'm movie surprised. Is great. I, that's actually the thing. Like with with what I know about you and music, I can enjoy a song. I just don't actually. Okay, most of the time when I'm listening to music, it's because someone else has forced me to listen to it, and that just pisses me off, and I can't enjoy the song. Okay, on my own, I will listen to. I will listen to people sing. I will enjoy it. But I'm not the person who will seek out music. Yeah. I'm the exact opposite. I will never I seek actually, out a song. I actually started fucking... I have Man of Constant Sorrow on my Spotify. And, I've had it on, and I had it on there for six months before I saw a Brother Where Art Thou. Because <laughs> Man of Constant Sorrow is a fucking bop. Yeah, it's great. It's great. This, this movie is awesome and you should watch it. Um, honestly, right now in the current climate of America is the perfect time to watch this movie. Oh God. Yeah. The whole, the whole thing wraps up with like, like there's this whole like political side of things going on where there is a, there's like an election going on for the governor of Mississippi and it is the incumbent and then the new progressive and that is that is his main that is that, that is that guy's main selling point of just we need to be progressive fucking women and shit we need to sweep up all this bullshit that this old guy did, but then he's the grand wizard of the KKK. Yep. And as soon as he does, as soon as that's revealed, they run him out of town on a rail. Oh god! And they get right back into the talk about him boys concert. And that that was great too. Just this whole background thing of just they recorded this song for ten bucks. Yeah, I, like that was it. They needed some money, so they were like, "We'll sing." Yeah, it's like, "Hey, <laughs> you like, guys need a singer? We'll sing." It's like, "Hey, miss, and, hey, like, mister, we heard you pay people ten dollars singing to your can." And then Stephen Root giving the weirdest performance I've seen him give. And I know it sounds like we're being disjointed and confusing, but I feel like this is the appropriate way to talk about both the Odyssey and this. Yeah, because both of them are kind of disjointed. You can't, like, it's not a, oh, boom, 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 boom. It's not a classical story structure. It's, and this happened, and this happened, and this. I know these things don't seem like they go together, but they go together, we promise. Yeah, it's essentially the... Essentially, what this movie is, is the first episode and the last episode of an episodic TV series where everything else just, and everything else in the middle is just kind of whatever order they need it in. Like, you, you, you could probably go in, like, recut this movie to swap some of the scenes around and it would still make as much sense as it did at the end. Yeah, actually. Because, like, there's no true illustration of where they are on their journey. Yeah. Like I love hell, this movie. Like, hell. With, the, with a passion. Like, hell. The I think Odyssey, I'm going to force my, watch to watch, as a my name, wife to watch it tonight. Like, the Odyssey as a name 
kind of kind of like lends to this idea that it's not actually doesn't actually matter where they start or where they stop. It's just about the shit in between. Assuming I'm thinking about the word Odyssey, right? Dude, that should be the name of our D&D podcast. The, a bunch of shit in between? The shit in between. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. We'll put it on the list. <laughs> Entry number one, the shit in between. Entry number two, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> We've got some names. If you have any ideas for the name of D&D podcast, keep them to your fucking self. We don't want to pay you fuckers. We'll give you a credit. (laughs) Like, your name will be in the credits. The credits. Anyway, moving right along. From there, uh, I watched Happy Death Day. Oh, I love that movie, too. Yeah, it's really fucking good. Which I was not expecting, really. Like, Blumhouse has begun to earn itself a reputation lately for more, like, good shit. But I still, like, have this association in my mind with them of making just, like, essentially being just what if the asylum had class? <laughs> like, before recently, was would I be wrong? No, you wouldn't be, but that's the best description I've heard. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's great. But yeah, and but yeah, so so then seeing Happy Death Day and it's like, oh, that's an actually interesting premise with actors I don't know, but that seem actually competent and a bunch of people that I trust opinions on movies about say it's actually pretty good. Am I one of those people? I think so. Probably. Yay! <laughs> I, like, I bet if I had said Sherlock Gnomes was good, you'd be like, no, never. Yeah. Like I said, kind of trust. But yeah, so I, so I just kind of sat down and watched this, and yeah, this is really good. But I, I, it wasn't what I was expecting going into it. Because I... I it was a lot more comedy than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's a, a and that's one thing that shocked me. I expected to be annoyed by it, if I'm honest. Yeah, like, like it's like it seemed like like my my initial thought of it was, all right, this is an interesting premise that they will do nothing really with, and that will just kind of be a weird framing device for their kind of bullshit slasher movie. But then no, they actually do the actual story of the movie. Kind of has nothing to do with the actual slasher. And it's more just about Tree, our main character, played by Jessica Roth. Roth? Roth? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce her name. But main character Tree going from being a piece of shit to a decent person. Yeah. Like, that that's the thing. Like she, like, Jessica Roth kind of carries this fucking movie. Everyone else, they do an admirable job at their parts. But if we didn't have her as, like, our emotional core and also our charismatic core... The movie would be a fucking nightmare. Because she manages to play... She manages to play terrible bitch really charismatically so that you actually, like, really like... So that, A, you enjoy watching her, and B, you enjoy watching her die. Yeah. (laughs) 
But then she manages like, to actually transition that somewhat naturally into like like pathos and resolving these issues that have led their personality to being like this and eventually just kind of being a being a much better person than she was at the start of all this. Which that's kind of fucking great. And one of my favorite things that I did not think would actually be a thing that I appreciate is the movie starts out with a kind of bait and switch in that the beginning of the movie is like tree wakes up in some dude's bed without pants on or her own clothes. And the implication is she got, she got drunk. She got fucking wasted and then fuck this random dude. And then it's not until like halfway through the movie that we learned that, that never, that, that didn't actually happen. Huh? I forget that. They forgot about that. Yeah, like, like it starts out with the implication of that she fucked this Spencer dude, or I think that's I think that's his name. And then she matter. and then she like calls him out on it, and she's like, "What? No, we didn't fucking sleep together. You got really drunk, and I got got really fucking drunk, and you seemed like you were about to fucking like go get yourself killed. So I brought you back here. You slept in my you slept in my bed. I slept in my roommate's bed. He slept in his car. And, and, and then, my roommate's just a fucking idiot and an asshole. So yeah, and then and then that and then that was the kind of moment of like, oh." He treat me like a person. Well, I guess we're going to date the end of this. <sighs> but yeah, I guess for those who don't know and haven't caught on to it in what we've been saying, um, Happy Death Day is is the slasher version of Groundhog Day. A girl wakes up one day, gets murdered by the end of the day by a guy, by a person... <laughs> In a giant baby mask, which is the mascot of the university. They kill her and then she wakes up at the start of the day again. And then it just kind of becomes this cavalcade of her trying to avoid kill, like avoid these like previous kill things, which then always lead to her being killed. And it is. Like and it is and it's done with like this very quick pace where they where like like Groundhog Day they go through so many iterations that we don't see or or that we or that we just barely see like scraped over because everything else is basically the same except for this one major thing that mainly used for a sight gag like her just walking around naked which it's a real shame but we don't get to see her nope Jessica Roth is. Despite this, I think being like one of her first major things, still too good an actress for that. Oh, the truest of shames. <laughs> yeah, too classy to get your tits out and too classy to get your tits out in the fucking movie. This is a horror movie, damn it! Have some respect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she big... was brilliant in this, though. Yeah, like she didn't actually have to get her tits out to be entertaining. Oh she no, she did not. She was brilliant. She was entertaining start to finish. She is, she is the best. I want to see more of her. And since Happy Death Day to you is a thing, I will. I'm very much looking forward to it because it looks like they've actually done it in such a way that I'm not going to be annoyed that uh, 
you know, they did it. Yeah, from what I from what I've heard of like early reviews of it, um, they they moved away from being a comedy slasher to being a comedy sci-fi with a slasher element. Okay, that's fine. Um, I'm I've from what I've seen of the trailers, it looks like they're going to attempt to explain like how she is immortal. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, that Happy Death Day to you looks really fucking cool. I agree wholeheartedly. And once I see it, I'm probably going to say they don't need a third. Because hell, well, see, if they actually explain how her powers work, then probably not. Because that was the one looming question I had: was how is she immortal? Yeah, from what you I've seen of I mean? trailers, it's not like it's it's some science bullshit. Just it's always some science bullshit. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, so happy death to you. It's not the best slasher movie. Like I like like the guy had the guy managed to get uh, some. Well, not some like the kills aren't necessarily super inventive or anything. They're mainly just there as like they're almost there as jokes. A lot of the kills are uh, at least a little bit of a joke. Yeah, like one like one of the kills is she's like spying on someone who she thinks might be the killer with like night vision goggles like covered in like camo paint. Just spying on her, and it's like, oh fuck, it's not her. Stands up, turn around. The guy just fucking bum rushes her into a fountain. Yeah. Then wake up, start again. Uh but yeah, uh, it's just a, it's just a really, it's a movie that does the most with its premise that I didn't think it actually able to do. So kudos to you, happy death day. Look forward to seeing the next one. And then finally. Last thing to talk about, uh, blind spotting. So this is a movie that I had not heard shit about until literally everybody I follow in the like the film in the, like a film side of the internet started putting this in their best of the year list. And I've never heard of this. Yeah. Um. And so. So yes, blind spotting is. A movie and a movie written and a movie written by its two lead stars. Okay. And both these guys have been trying apparently to get this movie made for like at least a decade. Wow. Yeah, they wrote the script um like based on like just from what I've read on the internet. Uh they wrote the script like back in like the early aughts. Or like like the mid to like the mid aughts, I think. And then they just kinda hadn't been able to actually get schedules worked out to be able to properly film it. Because during that time, David Diggs, one of the stars and the writer, got a role in Hamilton. Well, that's a good reason not to make your movie. Yeah, but then, but then, like, he eventually left Hamilton in 2016, and then they, they opened up the schedule to be actually able to do this stuff. So, yeah, uh, like I said, it's written by David Diggs, and then also written by uh, Raphael uh, Castle. I'm probably mispronouncing at least one of those names. And for that, I apologize. Uh, they are real-life friends and real-life rappers who wrote this movie sp- specifically set in Oakland because they were sick of how Oakland was portrayed in media. Okay. They are both boys, so they're because they are both Oakland locals. And I will need to just I'll need to take a quick break right now because the recorder just died. So we'll be right back, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. 
Now we're back, everybody. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, uh, line spotting. Uh, yeah, written by uh, Diggs and Castle, who were sick of the way that Oakland was portrayed in media, and because they were both Oakland boys, and so they wrote this movie. Uh, Diggs start. So they both star in it as lifelong childhood friends, uh, Miles and Colin. Uh, Miles played by Raphael, and and uh, Colin played by David. Uh, Colin is a man who was just released from prison after getting sentenced to three to like some amount of time for an assault charge. And we spend the majority of the movie not knowing what that assault, not not knowing what that charge actually was. Once they actually find out what it is, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, it's a comedy drama about about this guy trying to get his life back on track while dealing with the systemic racism in the police department and the growing paranoia and the growing paranoia of many people within black communities of being killed by the cops. Yeah, that's the thing. This movie is incredibly funny and really poignant and fucking dark. Because the whole thing that starts out is that he is three days from, so he is, so he was given a year probation after getting released from prison, and he is on his last three days of probation before he's a free man, for real. Mm-hmm. And he and he has a job working at Commander Movers, a moving company uh, that he works at with his best friend Miles, as well as his ex girlfriend. So one day, as he is like. So they they get to like they get to like keep the truck for really like driving home and stuff, uh, and then going out the next day to just whatever. Yeah, and on his way home to the halfway house that he's staying at, um, he just sees the cop fucking gun down a kid. Not like a kid, but like a young guy. Like he was like like I think at the end it was really it was like twenty six. Yeah, the cop just fucking shoots him. As he's fleeing. Like cops are wont to do. And then from there it is. And then from there it is just David. Uh, well, Colin. Re-examining his life. Re-examining what. All of this mean. Like what like what like a. What the world means to him. How he fits in the world. How cops fit into the world. And also his relationship with. Miles and kind of kind of Oakland itself because and then finally realizing at the end that Miles is the new Spider-Man no 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 actually one of the big yeah actually one of the big blowout things in the end is that the fact that uh, one of the big blowouts with the characters is the fact that like like so Raphael's white David's black and Miles spends the entire movie acting like you would expect an Oakland gangster to act like. He had, the, he had the fucking grill in, all tatted up, talking about like all that other shit. He had a fucking he has a fucking gun for most of the movie. And then David, on the mean t- on the meanwhile, he is trying to get away from that. He is not wearing a grill at all. Like he like we, we've seen a flashback. He used to wear grills and like dress up all like you know Oakland. But now he's trying to like play that down and just kind of like get like back to like some kind of standard because because like it's like despite the fact that despite the fact that Miles is acting like the kind of guy that the police are actually after 
Colin's going to get Colin's going to be the one who ends up getting shot because he's black and and Miles is white. Yeah, standard. Yeah, it's a whole big thing that's explained way better in the fucking movie. Because one of the best things about this movie, like the thing that kind of like makes it, is the just completely natural chemistry between not just David and Raphael, who are like fucking best buds in real life and whatever, but like everyone else too. Like all the dialogue in this feels incredibly natural and really funny. Even the rapping feels natural. Because since both of them are rappers, uh, it's, it's kind of established that. Whenever they're like just got, whenever they're just like kind of like killing time or just doing whatever, they'll just start freestyling with each other. And this leads to the most powerful scene in the movie at the very end where I guess kind of spoilers, where Colin ends up in the house of the cop who killed that kid with a gun trained on him. Freestyle rapping in his face about the plight of being black in a fucking urban neighborhood. And how fucking absolutely goddamn terrifying that is. I'm not the best person to talk about this. I don't really. I am not the. I'm not the person to talk about racism. Just kind of throwing that out there. I am an idiot who doesn't know dick about what I'm talking about. But this movie, it tackles racism and talks about racism in a really smart way, in a really interesting way, in a really natural way. And it does preach to you, but it doesn't necessarily, but it doesn't, but it doesn't like feel super preachy, which is also kind of a point in the movie. Yeah. It, th- there's, there's a lot going into that final rap scene that I kind of can't get into without just explaining the entire movie and also getting into other plot points about it. Uh, but one of the things that, one of the things that I haven't mentioned up till now, and that is a massive part of this movie, like a massive background part and kind of instigating factor that ends up leading to this whole, that ends up leading to this whole big blowout near the end is, is the gentrification of Oakland. Like Oakland is, Oakland is one of these, one of those like traditionally, I guess like black areas of, of like LA from when I, from what I have heard, I'm not hundred percent sure. Like I said, I'm not the right person to talk about this stuff. But yeah. And so, yeah, it's like, it's like a lot of, uh, like a lot of, um, under like a lot of like, un like not really well off people just kind of doing what they can to get by. And then, Throughout it, it's like, yeah, go to the convenience store. I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna spend a dollar on the cigarette. And then and then the other guy's like, I'm gonna buy ten, I'm gonna spend ten dollars on this fucking weird green shit. This fucking health drink. I don't know what the fuck it is. I hate health drinks. Yeah, and then and you go around and my favorite shot in the movie is just this like is it just like establishing shot of these two houses. Where where there are four houses in shot. Two of them are Older, wooden, stuff you would expect in the area. And then the two right in the middle of them are these giant square monstrosities that look like modern art pieces. And that's kind of the point they were making about the gentrification of Oakland. In one shot, and it's fucking great. And yeah, 
this movie's just fucking really good. If you're looking for a like really poignant, funny, really heavy fucking movie. This has a lot of that going for it. I can see why a lot of these fucking I can see why a lot of the people that I follow online started putting that on like their end of the year best of list. Because this movie was fucking phenomenal. If we had a chance to see it, I would highly recommend it. Fucking this movie's great. And I'm probably gonna have to check out more of like David and Raphael's uh, like rap stuff. I know they released a mixtape a while back, and I know that uh David has a couple solo projects out. They're both just really good rappers. Anyway, that's all I've been watching. <sighs> News-wise, there's nothing much that I really saw, like kind of going through news feeds. <clears throat> it was that kind of meant something to me, but like not wouldn't mean much to anybody else. And by that, he means caveman wouldn't be interested. Yeah. So new releases this week. Week of fucking Valentine's Day or whatever. Uh, two, yeah, two movies coming out of note. Um, first up, Alita: Battle Angel. Uh, the long in development adaptation of the Battle Angel Alita manga from back in the fucking like back in the day of manga. And Happy Death Day to you, which is a weird. Weird movies that kind of come out side by side with each other. Especially on Valentine's Day. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, why the fuck is this? A, why the fuck are they both coming out on Valentine's Day? Because love is in the air. And you know what else? And you know what goes right along with that? Murder and robots. Or murdering robots. You want to uh-huh. see You want to see Christoph Waltz dressed in a fucking leather duster with a giant wide brim cap and a fucking rocket powered hammer? Yes. Yes, I do. And go see a ba- Alita Battle Angel. Get ready. The Battle Angel is a coming. And next week, a movie that I have been kind of like in the back of my mind dying to see and dying for them to make, actually, finally. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. I am so fucking sick of that movie already. <laughs> Like, no, I loved the first two. Hey, let's, uh, let's, uh, flood them with fucking advertisements. Really? I haven't, I have not seen a single ad for this fucking movie. I have gotten thousands. Like, every fucking day, I get at least two fucking advertisements for that goddamn movie. Weird. Yeah, I... The only trailer I've seen for that movie is the one that I intentionally sought out to see. That was really weird. That's good for this week. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back. It's not fucking point more of this shit. Dylan, I'm dead. And I'm Caveman. See you guys next time. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.